You're listening to the Sparrows and Wildflowers podcast. Stories of faith, love, life, loss, and eternity. Welcome to the Sparrows and Wildflowers podcast. This is episode number 26 with Tadiwa Pasipanochka. Tadiwa speaks with us about growing up in Zimbabwe, her education, her family, and her Catholic upbringing. She shares really openly about coming to Australia in her late teens and walking away from God after experiencing abuse. She shares about her relationships, her career, and her journey back to finding faith in Jesus and recognizing her value. Tadiwa also talks beautifully about her hopes and dreams for the future. And now I hope you really enjoyed this engaging discussion with Tadiwa Pasipanochka. I was born in Zimbabwe, which is in Southern Africa, in 1983, and I grew up in a family of five children. I was number, I, I am not, I was, but I am number four right. of, um, of my siblings, and I grew up in a really cool household. My mom and dad were amazing, and um, so loving and generous and caring, and a Christian family. Well, Catholic, but... Catholics in Africa consider themselves Christians. It's, I think it's a bit different here. Yeah, so in a Christian family, and I went to a Christian girls' school in Zimbabwe, which was really fortunate. Um, good education and, yeah, good family. Wow. And um, what was the political situation there? Was it quite rest or um, unrest? It was when I was younger. I remember when I was in my high school years, it wasn't as much as when things started to get a little bit tense. But when I was younger, things were very good. Mm-hmm. Um, we did believe that we had a good president and a good political system. Um, but when I got older, things kind of turned around. So it was a bit different. Mm. Yeah. And what are some of your early memories? Um, some of my early memories growing up are with my siblings, just sitting around um, chatting because we were all quite close in age. My younger sister's 18 months younger than me. Mm-hmm. Um, so we pretty much grew up like twins. Like we used to have to dress the same. <laughs> my mom would buy us the same clothes and, you know, it was a little bit embarrassing at times. When I'm thinking about it now, but at the time I didn't think anything of it. Um, but my earliest memories are just hanging out with my siblings and, you know, chatting. Or I remember my birthday parties were always fun because you get to invite your friends and not anyone else's friends to your own parties. That was really cool. <laughs> And so you grew up in a Christian home. Do you have kind of the first distinct memory of God or spirituality or just of religion? Yeah, I do, actually. I remember when I was young, I used to love Easter. Being Catholic, Easter is a very sacred time. Um, they they take things very, not very literally, but we used to do what we call the Stations of the Cross on Good mm-hmm. Friday. Yeah. And we would walk from... I think it was 13 Ks and every K there would be like a station of the cross. Stations of the cross are pretty much, um, they follow the, what happened when Jesus left Jerusalem on the way to his crucifixion. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're 13 different stages of that journey that Catholics remember and commemorate. So I used to drag my mom and be like, I want to go to the station of the cross. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I think thinking about it now is probably one of the times that I felt really close to Jesus. I didn't know it at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but now when I reflect on it, I think that's where I really felt close to him. And so, yeah, that's my very, you know, distinct memory of religion. Mm-hmm. Um, I did do communion and confirmation. 
which you have to do in the Catholic Church, but that weren't really, those were almost like ticking the box things to me. Mm -hmm. Um, They weren't really like things that I even remember or thought that they had any significance to my Christian journey. But you felt like a a sense of closeness to God, you were saying? Uh, When I was young, yes, I did. Mm -hmm. I did. I I I felt a sense of closeness. I, I... I even remember times when um, I was scared of the dark a lot when I was younger. And so I used to always pray, like, you know, God, protect me and, you know, please be with me. Even when I had to wake my little sister up to take me to the bathroom because I was really scared of the dark. But I was always like, you know, I I knew that God was there and I knew that he would protect me. And and the older I got, I think I always felt like I, you know, wanted to know more of God. When I started high school, I was like part youth leader at my church. So I was like, you know, preaching and like going through the word. And the only certificate I've ever got from high school was from religious education. So I've only ever been awarded for that. So yeah, I think I I always had this wanting to know God more Mm. when I was in that bubble. Mm. Yeah. Things were different when I left. When you left Zimbabwe? Yeah, yeah. Things were very different. I actually just didn't go to church at all and completely went the complete opposite direction. And so I didn't go to church at all and I hated God and I didn't want to be a part of the church. So Mm. it was very different extremes. Wow. Yeah. So just stepping back for a moment to when you were preaching and all that sort of stuff, as a young woman in your culture and in the Catholic church, was that sort of the norm? It wasn't so much like I was preaching to minister. It was just that I would, you know, help lead the worship at youth service. Oh, yeah. And I would be the one who would share word. Mm. So it was quite normal mm-hmm. um, because it was just youth group. Yeah. It wasn't like we were out. Um, but we do have what they call different factions in the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I don't know, my mom was part of a group of women who were considered to be... It's it's very weird. It's kind of like the English term for it would be... Um, they're called the Ladies of the Heart of Jesus. Wow. So they kind of wear this uniform. They're different factions. Mm-hmm. And in that, in that ministry, they preach to each other and they teach and they sing songs. They get together... And women are the ones who actually run those meetings. Amazing. So, yeah. Wow. And yeah. so you had that strong woman in your home growing up, your mom? Yeah, my mom was yeah. a very strong woman, very strong um, woman of the word. Mm. She's um, she's my pillar. She's my pillar of wisdom. She's She she lives in South Africa now, but she's um, she just loves the word of God. And I've, I just admire that in her. And um, even now, like, she'll send me the weirdest texts. and and it'll just be all this scripture and then something will happen two days later that will just be completely in line with that scripture and just with that word of encouragement yeah so she's someone who's always encouraging me to go into the word and what does the word of god say what does the bible say if i'm going through stuff so yeah Mm. you spoke about that change when you left zimbabwe yeah so what led you to leave and what shifted in you in terms of your faith by the time I left Zimbabwe, I was kind of rebelling a little bit as well. I had started to rebel already, even though I used to go to church still. But my heart really wasn't in line with God 
at mm-hmm. that time now when I was late in my teens. I left Zimbabwe when I was 19. Mm-hmm. So I just finished high school and I had started to rebel at that stage. I used to smoke. I used to sneak out the house. Like it was just a norm for me. Something in my heart, like just, I think was searching for love because mm-hmm. I, um, I got abused when I was young. But when I was young, in my younger years, I really didn't remember it as much as I did in my older years. Mm -hmm. So I think the older I got, the more this thing kept pestering in me, in my heart. And because when I came to Australia, I was on my own. I wasn't with my family. I got in with the wrong crowd as well. So it was just kind of a mixture of hanging with the wrong people. Um, And then I just stopped going to church. Maybe it's also that thing of my parents weren't there anymore because I used to go to church with my parents and now Mm. they weren't there. So I didn't have to go to church anymore. Um, But then the more that I didn't go to church, this thing just kept festering inside me. and, And I got to a point where I actually didn't like the God who I believed in because I believed that that God hurt me. That same God was there when I was hurt when I was younger. That same God was there when someone took away my innocence so I didn't want to be a part of that Mm -hmm. um I didn't believe that that God was any God to do with love and so I just you know rebelled completely and went the opposite direction um you know got into drugs started taking drugs hanging out with the wrong people I married a drug dealer um and just didn't want to have anything to do with religion or spirituality wow yeah do you think it was that you stopped believing in God or you believed that God existed and had allowed you to be abused and so therefore yeah you- yeah I think I think yeah I, I think you, you're right like I didn't stop believing in God I believed mm. he was there but he just didn't love me mm. and because and if he didn't love me then love really wasn't existent as well in a way mm. um which is quite hard for me because my name in my language, Tadiwa, means we are loved by God. And so I had years of fighting my name and fighting, you know, because when I was young, I was told that, like, you know, your, your name's beautiful. It's a God-given name and, you know, all these things. And I was like, well, if this God really loves me, then why was he there when this happened to me? Why would he let this happen to me? And so I did everything I can to disprove that God loved me. Mm-hmm. Um, and in turn, I, I hated myself as well. I did things that didn't, you know, bring me joy. I didn't, th- I did, I did things that hurt me because I was trying to prove to myself that I'm not worth loving. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And you'd come here to s- sort of to study. Yeah. What did life kind of look like for you? Were you studying as well as living this kind of lifestyle? Yeah, well, at first I was studying and then mm. I just quit study and I just mm. lived this lifestyle of not studying at all. I hung out with the wrong crowd. I, um, for a while, worked in a, a high-class sort of escort agency type thing and stopped going to university and um, abused my body pretty much because I thought that that was the direction that was going to bring me not even joy, but it was just like, it was just a way of proving to myself that I can do what I want and you don't love me. So I'm going to love myself the way I know how I'm going to find love the way I think I deserve to be loved, which is with men. But really that didn't, that didn't work out Mm -hmm. as well. And so you got married as well. Yeah. So I got married. Um, 
and I married someone who I thought loved me and I think he loved me at one point and I loved him very much and so I think my marriage helped things slow down although in the like my drugs lifestyle slowed down a lot although my husband was a drug dealer it was more like at home it wasn't like out partying every night Mm -hmm. um so I was still living a life of like taking drugs and just not doing anything that was productive but now I had a partner to do it with and so it was just a destructive lifestyle for Mm -hmm. about seven years wow yeah a long time yeah and what were your family relationships like in this time with your parents they were so broken yeah um my mom and dad had just moved to australia after i it was funny i met my ex-husband in march 2006 and my parents had moved to australia february 2006 Mm -hmm. and so as soon as i met my ex-partner i moved out and Mm -hmm. so my relationship with my parents was broken completely broken i rarely visited them i rarely spoke to them i rarely got in contact because i'd had lived a secret life already i lived a, i'd lived a secret life where i used to take drugs i used to be high so they would call me and i'll be like getting high and i just wouldn't answer the phone um they would try and contact me for days on end i just would not contact them back because i was a drug addict mm-hmm. um and so i didn't have a relationship with family mm-hmm. yeah and did they move here for you? No, my mom and dad actually moved here. My mom moved to go to university. Oh, okay. Yeah, at the age of 55, and she got her degree. Wow. Um, she got a degree in herbal medicine and reflexology. Amazing. Yeah. And so from your experience being a drug user and, and, and not seeing the value in yourself and all this sort of thing, what would you sort of say to Christians who do have, or even to anyone who does have, family or someone they love who's in that sort of lifestyle would you have any reflections to share on what's helpful to reach out to people what do they need or what did you Um, need unconditional love Mm. um we're all broken at some point i think to understand that we are all broken even people who are not a drug addicts are broken but we, we express it in a different way yeah. Some people find it in drugs and it's a way, a, way, a way to mend what's broken in their hearts. Other people find it even in being addicted to food. Other people find it even being addicted to fitness. Mm-hmm. We all have things that we gravitate to. Sometimes it's shopping, you know, it's, it's all these different things. Yeah. I think just understanding that we're all broken um, and that we are broken people trying to uh, have perfect relationships so it's, it's, it's always going to be difficult. But then also just add conditional love. Just be there for people and walk the journey with them. My parents walked the journey with me for years and years and years. There were times when they didn't understand the things that were coming out of my mouth. But they just, you know, I remember my dad would always just say, you know, you've got a lot of potential. And I'd be like, ah, oh, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd just stand up and walk away. But mm-hmm. he just kept, you know, gunning that home. And now I, 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 I take those moments as actually God speaking through him. That he, God's love is unconditional, that we turn away, like, and we say, no, I don't want this love. But he's always standing at the door saying, hey, I love you. Just want to let you know that I love you. And I think that's what got me through in terms of my family relationships. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. And so you mentioned that your marriage did break down. Yeah. Was that after the seven years? Yeah. So after seven years... I got to a point where in the ma- in my marriage, I started to want 
better things for myself. Um, I got together with my husband and we were really lost. We were both lost. But I got to a point where I had started engaging myself in new age philosophies and um, a bit of Buddhism. And I I didn't want to be a a Christian. I didn't want to be religious, but I wanted to be spiritual. Right. So I, I went down the path of, you know, investigating new age and... And along that path, I discovered that I did have a purpose and that I did have the ability to love and I didn't have the ability to want better for myself. But at the same time, whilst I was on that journey, my ex-husband didn't want to have anything to do with change. He was still happy to be doing the things he was doing. And I got to a point where I said, well, you know, I'm going to go this direction and that direction where you're going and where you are is actually hurting yourself. You're not doing anything that's going to be helpful for you and all for me. Um, and so I tried to get him to go to rehab. At first he agreed and then he said, no, he didn't want to. And he then he was like, oh, I'm going to divorce you. So at that point, I was just so tired of it all. I thought, okay, whatever you can get the divorce. And so that's when the marriage started breaking down. And so he left and I sort of, you know, tried to keep it all together and, you know, be in this spiritual journey still, um, hoping that that would keep me sane. And that's when my mother started talking to me about, you know, going back to church again and reading the Bible. And I remember specifically this one night she she called me and I had just been on the computer investigating a Buddhist sect that I wanted to join down in Brookvale in the northern beaches where I live and my mom rang me and she goes well I've been thinking about you and I've been praying for you and I think you should go to church and I was like I'm not going to church I don't believe in the same God that um, you believe in I don't think Jesus is real he's not he's not the God that I want to follow I want to be a Buddhist and she was just like um, Tad, I really think you should go to church. <laughs> and I was like, no, thank you. And I hung up the phone on her. <laughs> um, I'm really sorry, mom. I've apologized to her for this. Um, and so like, I was just kind of like on this path where I wanted to, to find myself because my husband had left as well. And I'd realized that I really didn't know myself. I, d- I didn't know who the, um, who Tadiwa was without being, high and without having my husband for years and years I had been this person who was either high or who had this guy next to her um and so now that I didn't have those things I didn't have I didn't have anything so I'm questioning myself who who am I what what am I here for although I know there's a purpose and stuff but who's this person so as, as I investigated Buddhism I thought oh that could be something that could help me along that path but meantime my mom is praying and she's like no 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 this is what you need to do and so yeah that's how you know my marriage ending and me kind of finding or God finding me eventually wow yeah and so, like, in terms of your career path through all this, you'd started studies and left it. You'd even been through that escort stage. Like, yeah. what were you, what was your career like at this point? Um, I just worked in nursing homes. Oh, I didn't okay. really have like a 
a as job a as a carer i just yeah. worked in nursing homes as a carer it was something that i'd done for years it didn't require me to have i mean of course you needed qualifications mm. but um when i first came to australia i was going to study communications mm-hmm. um a bachelor of arts in communications and i quit that to study a bachelor of applied fashion and then i quit that and i got married so mm-hmm. I hadn't finished my study. So I was just going from job to job, but mainly just care work. And at that time I was actually working in disability and I was working in aged care. Wow. Yeah. And how did that sort of sit with your identity and, and the spirituality that you were looking into? Was it work just work? Yeah, work was just work. It was just work to pay the bills. I knew that I would find my purpose Mm. eventually I knew ever since I was young I always wanted to be in fashion it's something that I always thought I would do I would end up doing Mm. um and so I knew that somewhere down the line I was going to have to sort sort myself up because I knew my life was too messy Mm -hmm. so I needed to find myself and then find my purpose in in career and stuff because I'd messed things up a little bit in terms of my studies I didn't finish what I was supposed to finish and so I knew that I kind of had to settle find myself find a a direction of where is it i'm actually going and then work out what my purpose was in terms of work i knew that i didn't want to spend my whole time or my whole life working in a nursing home Mm -hmm. although i did love it because i it's kind of naturally my nature i love looking after people Mm -hmm. i knew that it's not something that i wanted to do for a long time Mm -hmm. so there's always that like feeling of oh i'm getting old now i haven't really (laughs) finished studying when am I going to end up doing this? Which is why I really started this whole thing with my ex-husband of being like, hey, we need to start getting our lives in order. Okay. We need to start, you know, kind of working towards something because we're getting old and we haven't really accomplished much because we've spent half the time getting high. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 Okay. So then you'd had this conversation or probably I imagine many conversations with your mum. Yeah. What sort of change for you? What happened next? So I we, we oh we have conversations back and forth. She's always calling me, texting me, saying pray. You know, do you still have your Bible that I gave you? And I'd say yes, I have it. It had grain dust somewhere in the house. I never <laughs> really read it. At that time, she was living with my sister, who was going through her her own divorce. Believe it or not. So it was, it was quite, you know, hectic family-wise. And it was just quite hard for my mom to see both her girls go through something, you know, that tragic. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm at my mom's and sister's house one time. And my mom starts bringing up all these people. Because she's like, oh, you know, you just need to go to church. You don't even have to go to Catholic church anymore. She's She's been investigating for me. That She's just beautiful. She's like, oh, I know this person. I've checked out this church near your house. You should go check it out. And then she brings up this guy. She goes, I've, I've, I've had a look. There's a guy named Phil Pringle who owns it, who runs a church um, near your house. And I thought, no, no. And I just kept, you know, shutting it down. And she goes, actually, he has a TV show. I said, TV show? I didn't even know Christians have TV show. And she goes, oh, there's an Australian Christian channel. And I thought, oh, okay. Funny enough, she's talking about this guy named Phil Pringle. And we, my my sister, they're watching Australian Christian channel at the time. So we're, talk, we're chatting, we're talking. I think we start having dinner and, and Phil Pringle's show comes on. And, I, and she goes, that's the guy. And I'm like, yeah, and? <laughs> and so we have dinner. I watch that show. I, on the outside, I'm showing this bravado of, oh, no, I don't really want this. But as I'm watching the show, it's doing something in my heart. 
you know, it's, it's, it's just, you know, kind of churning at a few things in my heart and the way that he was speaking. I can't really remember what he was saying exactly, but when I went back home, I had Foxtel at the house that I was renting. And so I looked for the Australian Christian channel secretly and I started to record his shows. And so I would watch his shows and I think, I think I watched about, I can't remember how many exactly I watched, but I watched a few of his shows that I recorded. And then I had got onto the church website and I was investigating this church. And, and I remember it was one Sunday night. Um, I was just about to watch my, you know, show and, um, something said to me, just go to the church. And so I just, you know, got dressed and I went down to the church and, I get to the church and um, they're having, it was 19th of August, 2012. I'll never forget it. I walked into the church and um, they're playing this duft of music. And I'm going, <laughs> the last time I was in a church, it was in a Catholic church back home. And so I wasn't used to this kind of duft of music going off. I'm thinking, oh, am I in a club? You know, everyone looks young and hip. And, uh, and then I find out later as well that they were having baptisms that night. So... They were going to have the baptisms first and then they were going to have the, ch- the service after the baptisms. And um, this young man um, decided, uh, I think they asked this young man to give a testimony why he was getting baptized. And so he gets up on the microphone and he starts talking about, oh, I decided to get baptized because I just want to be obedient to God. I just knew that, you know, this is really about me just choosing to obey God. And, you know, and I just... As you say those words, it did something to my heart. I just because I knew that I'd been disobedient. Um, it was like that little girl was back in those in that church seats. It wasn't the girl who'd been hurt. It wasn't the girl who'd been angry. It was that little girl who used to run the church meetings back in Zimbabwe. Who used to run the youth meetings was sitting in those seats. And so when he started talking about I need to be obedient, I I was like, that's me. I've been running away. I've run away. And I need to come home. When um, the preacher, Pastor Phil, I think he decided to do the call for anyone to respond to Jesus before he preached. Mm-hmm. And so he did that call and I responded and I went down and I gave my life to, to Jesus. And and um, and I just knew that like things were never going to be the same because I just couldn't stop crying. And, um, and I felt like I was at home. I felt like I'd come home and I didn't have to run anymore. Um, and it was okay. You know, I just felt like it's okay. Like it's, mm. it's okay. You don't have to run anymore. And that was the journey. That's when the journey started off the unraveling of all the things that had happened in, in the last 10 years. So Wow. Yeah. With the abuse and everything that you had been through. Yeah. You went on a bit of a journey there? Yeah, because I'd, I'd never really talked to God about the abuse. Mm. I had my own revelation of it, and that's when I ran. Mm. I I never really had the chat with God. And I think as well, when it all, when it all happened, um, when, when I had the the memory of it and just churning over it, I really didn't have anyone to talk to about it. Mm. So now it was time for me to come face to face with Adam and be like, okay, this is what happened. This is how I'm feeling. The good thing that happened is that as I got saved, I found out about C3 College, mm. which I felt God say, I want you to do. So I did C3 College, which was amazing. And I'm just about to finish my 
third year, um, although I did four years because I did one year part-time um, in, in November this year, but that, that's been the journey of healing through all of these things is that I've been, you know, put on this big surgery table, <laughs> you know, uh, um, you know, intense healing process. Um, so where God's kind of walked me through that journey. And I remember the first time that I started talking to God about um, my abuse and I said, I said, okay, so you say you love me and, you know, you really, you know, care for me and all these things, but where were you that day? Mm. Because I don't, I don't think you were there. And, um, and I remember sitting there and, I I I've, I can't say I've ever really heard the voice of God, that audible voice. But so one time I, I heard this, 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 um, I cried. I just heard him say, I cried. Wow. And, and just that alone just completely like undid me. Cause I was like, oh, okay. So, you know, like you were hurt more than I was hurt. And it's like, yeah. I, I cried, I wept when that happened to you because it, it, you're my girl and I didn't want that to happen to you. So that that kind of threw me, threw me off because I didn't expect that, but it really opened my heart to completely just being able to trust in God um, because the thing that I think I had happened to me over the years is that I'd completely shut my heart off. I'd become kind of tough and, you know, being like, you know, I don't care about things. I don't care about people. I'm this tough girl. And that's what rejection does. It just completely shuts. It makes you hard mm. to, 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 to think. So when, when I heard God say that, when I felt him say that to me, it just melted my heart. And I just knew that I had to just surrender to him. And as I've surrendered over the years, and it hasn't been easy, I still have moments where I go through um, you know, times where I feel like I'm alone, I feel like he's not there to protect me, but it's a constant choice to just surrender and be like, okay, I trust you with my heart. And every time I've just said, I've trust you with my heart, he's always revealed himself and always kind of walked me through the next stage of my life and just shown that he's my protector, that he's my father, that, you know, the things that hurt me actually hurt him more, mm. you know, and that he has done everything that he can and he shows me that through the cross that, you know, I've done everything to give you everything. And so you don't ever have to worry about anything. If you just trust me with your heart every time, you'll see. So it's kind of the journey that I'm on at the moment. Amazing. Yeah. And your parents must have been overjoyed. To yeah. See you come back. <laughs> they are. Yeah. yeah. My parents are. My, my dad calls me his um, spiritual teacher. I don't know why he does that because he's... <laughs> He's, um, I constantly have chats to him because I'm the only one out of all of us who, his dad was a preacher mm. and one of my uncles was a preacher. So he always feels like, you know, kind of he's, he missed, he missed out on that. So he's, he loves talking through scripture with me and mm. sharing ideas about faith and the revelations that we have and the things that God does in both our lives. Mm. So yeah, they're, they're really overjoyed and I, um, I have conversations with my mom and, and she's just grateful to see what God's done in my life because they've really seen the other side as well. Mm. So um, to be able to, for, for them to be able to see that, 
that God has completely, you know, turned things around in my life is is a joy for them. And it mm. helps them sleep better at night, I think, as yeah, well. Yeah, but <laughs> did they know that you had been abused or did that sort of come out after you came back to to church and to Jesus? Um, yeah, they knew I had been abused. I told them during my rebelling years. Mm. I think I spoke to them in anger at one time when I was drunk mm. and I really didn't give them an opportunity to say anything mm-hmm. i know my mom felt guilty a lot she would mention here and there that she felt that she had let me down and i always kept telling us there's nothing you could have done about it before i came back to church that's as far as the conversation went mm-hmm. but i think after I've, I've had one moment where i've just sat down with both of them and just be like hey, i just want you guys to know that you know Mom, you don't have to be feel guilty about what happened to me. Like I know now that, you know, what happened to me shouldn't have happened to me, but God will turn it around for his glory. And um and just for you to be okay with that. So, yeah. Um I do I do have those conversations with my mom because I sometimes I feel they can be like an overprotective thing sometimes that comes out when she's trying to just you know make up and i'm like no mommy you don't have to do that it's okay just be you you don't have to kind of try and be overprotective because you feel like you've missed that it's okay and so you spoke about fashion being on your heart since you were young yeah you've now been through bible college is fashion part of your world at the moment yeah um funny you say that yeah it's 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 slowly creeping back into my mind i mean i started I, I sort of started a business when I was in college. I know it's a big mistake, but <laughs> um, I started a little um, jewelry making business uh, called House of Bantu. Bantu means people, and it's called the House of the People, pretty much. It's, a, it's an African term for, you know, a tribe. Yeah, I started a, a, a jewelry making business, and I used to make jewelry, and I've sold quite a bit of jewelry, and I've done a few interviews, and I've done a few fashion shows, and it just wasn't working well with college because it was like both those things needed all of my attention mm. and I couldn't do both and so I've just been focusing a lot on you know school and finishing school but lately I've been thinking about you know what what am I going to do next year and so I'm in the process of just you know trying to work through that with God in terms of uh, where is it his hand is leading me um, in terms of fashion and um, and how I would like to use that to um, work with women who are coming out of domestic violence and women who are coming out of sex trafficking and empower women in third world countries to be able to use their own, you know, um, creative ideas to actually make some money for themselves. So I have a lot of things that I would like to be able to do in terms of that um, fashion arena. But at the moment, I'm just kind of, you know, um, contemplating and praying about it. What am I going to do next year? Maybe just work in in the fashion industry for a year and just get some experience. So, yeah, I'll see. Great. With college, can you talk a bit about that experience? So you'd grown up in a Catholic home. Yeah. And then obviously went away and everything, but then went to a Pentecostal Bible college. Like, how did you find it in terms of the crowd and in terms of the study? What was it like for you? Yeah, it was all very new to me. I think the mm. only similar thing that we had was the Bible. <laughs> yeah. everything was new the preaching style was new even just being in church was new 
the worship experience was new raising up your hands and everything was new but i think it was it's it was great for my spiritual journey because it gave me a fresh perspective mm. um which is what i think i needed and i think i'm that type of personality who um i i thrive on change mm-hmm. and so i think that gave me a fresh new vibe on on Christianity, which I'd never had before. And so it was, it was, there was a, there was a few things that at first I was like, mm, don't agree with that. Mm, don't agree with that. You know, mm-hmm. at first, cause I really didn't understand what was going on there. Like I'd never seen a woman preach and teach from the stage. I'd always seen a priest do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd never seen prophecy. I'd never received a prophecy in my life. Mm-hmm. And so I remember receiving my first prophecy and I thought, what are they talking about? In my head, I was trying to contemplate and think, oh, what does that? what are they trying to say? But prophecy is so powerful that when it's spoken and it goes into your spirit, you get it in your spirit, although your head tries to kind of understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a lot of things that I kind of had to really learn for my not learn for myself but just let god unfold for me mm-hmm. of the of the vastness of his kingdom and what you know the pentecostal movement really is and and what it's like and now i think that's what i was created for i think i was uh, born as a, a woman of the spirit so i really thrive in that environment as well um and um and i remember we um when i um we had like a deliverance um, guy come to church and I'd never seen that kind of thing before um, and deliverance pretty much means like kind of you know getting rid of some of the bad things in your life that makes sense spiritual Spirit, spiritual or, or spiritual things mm-hmm. so I remember like being a part of that and um, at first I was like what is going on here <laughs> I really don't understand what's going on yeah. um, but like the more the more you read about it as well the more you go into the word I think it just kind of makes this if you don't feel so much like you're fish out of water it's, it's part of God's kingdom mm-hmm. and how he deals with his people mm-hmm. which is what I think I've, I've, I've always tried to maintain going into a Pentecostal church is knowing that it's the kingdom is big and it's part of God's kingdom. It's not my kingdom. It's how he deals with his people. Mm. And all these ministries are just a way of God dealing with his people in a way that, you know, he brings them back to himself. Whether it's deliverance or prophecy or pastoring or teaching or ministering or preaching, it's just God actually speaking to all of us, trying to get all of us to understand him. So, yeah, it's been very interesting. Amazing. Yeah. And in terms of both church and life in general, how have you experienced coming from Zimbabwean culture into Australian culture? I've never really um, compared my church experience in Zimbabwe to my Australian church experience. Mm-hmm. They're almost two very different things. Yeah. Um, not only is one Catholic and the other Pentecostal, but that but they're very different cultures. Um, and so I've never really kind of um, thought about or, or, or compare the two um, because I know that um, Africans uh, are very um, passionate in their faith. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's, that's, that's probably the only similarity I can, I can put it with Pentecostals because Pentecostals are quite passionate as well. So mm-hmm. I think that's kind of where I kind of make the two meet mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, yeah, because I think like even like I was saying before, like Catholics in Africa are considered Christians because we're just all part of the same bunch. And so um, Christians in Africa are very passionate, are very bold, are very strong. They're very loud. They dance, they sing. 
Pentecostals are loud and bold and strong. They dance, they sing. Mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of where I've kind of left that, um, those two meeting together. Mm-hmm. But I've never, I haven't really compared them in terms of like the differences and stuff. Because mm-hmm. um, I was very young when I was in Zimbabwe. And so my my experience even in services going to church is very will be very different from here when I'm older and I actually understand mm. my relationship with Jesus and I actually understand that my Christianity is about the relationship with Jesus, which is very different when I was younger. Mm. Yeah. And I guess even just the time passing in general. Yeah, 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 exactly. Have you been back to Zimbabwe? No, I haven't. Actually, no, I haven't. Not once. Um, None of my immediate family are at our house uh, in Zimbabwe at the moment. Um, We're all kind of all over the world. And so we visit each other. I've got two sisters in Canada who I'm visiting in December of this year. I've got another sister who's here with me. Uh, My mom and dad lived here in Australia for about six years. And my brother married a beautiful South African woman and they live in South Africa. And that's where my parents live now. So I've been to South Africa because my parents and my brother are there and they've all been here. And we've all kind of been to each country, the three countries, Zimbabwe, sorry, South Africa, Canada and Australia. But I haven't been to Zimbabwe. I haven't been to my home, um, my house that I grew up in as yet because there's no one there. Yeah. Um, and with the political climate at the moment, I just feel it's a waste. Mm. Um, I'm a very passionate, loud person. My mom always says if I go to Zim, I probably wouldn't survive <laughs> because wow. I don't agree with a lot of stuff that's going on in Zimbabwe. So mm. I don't think that it'll be a healthy place for me to go to at the moment. I would love to go one day mm. and visit there. Yeah, but I haven't been. And so in terms of church for you now, are you involved in in a volunteer capacity or what is kind of, what does church life look like for you? Church life is full. I mean, when you do, when you do college, you pretty much are at church because our campus is at church. Mm -hmm. Um, Church life is full. It's amazing. It's, um, it's really shaped, has helped shape who I am. Um, in that I got saved, I went to college straight away. And so I started serving because at college you serve different ministries. And now that I'm doing third year, I'm doing third year advanced leadership, which means I have one day of classes on Tuesday. And then I choose between Wednesday, Thursday and Friday. And in those three days, I have to um, do what we call interning in a department, a church for 16 hours. So it's two eight hour days. Mm -hmm. And so I chose to intern in the young adults um, department. Um, And so I go to church Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday. So Wednesday, Friday, I'm actually interning and I'm interning in the young adults department. My role is assisting with outreach initiatives and also with uh, event coordination. So it's fun. I love it. And so because I, I, I intern in young adults, I get to serve on the Sundays in the young adults team on the Sunday nights. And I'm also um, serving on one of our extension services out at Manly with um, with a very uh, amazing two women pastors who I look up to. So it's cool. I love wow. it. Yeah. Great. And then in terms of your journey, has there been a particular Bible passage or even a Bible figure that's been really significant for you? Yeah. Um, I think considering my past and um, and um, what I went through and the things that have happened in my life, I love Rahab because um, she was kind of or de- deemed to die because of where she came from, because of 
what God had called the Israelites to do and actually come into her territory and kill everyone. But she believed and had faith in this God and actually had a reverential fear of God before she even knew who God was. And because of her faith, you know, she became one of the heroes of faith. So I really love her story. And I think um, that she's someone who I can aspire to. Um, but the verse that has kind of um, helped me on my journey um, when I first got saved was um, in James. If anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask um, and God will give sparingly. Um, I knew I lacked wisdom and that's the one thing I needed. And I called out to God for wisdom and I believe he is slowly giving it to me <laughs> um, just by staying in his presence. And I think now walking on my journey, the, the verse that has um, helped me in my journey with God is uh, Romans 8, 17. Um, if you have not received a spirit that makes you slave again to fear, but you have received a spirit of sonship um, mm. and by that you cry, Abba, Father. And so I know... Um, I'm a daughter of God and that's my identity now mm. and that can never be taken away from me. Mm. And I have an inheritance in Christ that, you know, is eternal. Mm. And so that helps me every single day know that, um, that what I have is eternal. It doesn't fade away. Mm. Yeah. I like what you've said there about coming to God and, and asking him and, and what he's given you because it struck me before as well um, you mentioned that when you came back to Jesus, you had that honest conversation like um, that you hadn't had when you were younger. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, sometimes we think, oh, if I'm going to go to church or if I'm going to talk to God, I've got to put my best face on. Yeah. But actually just bringing that honesty is really powerful. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's so true because I found that in pivotal moments in the journey that when I've come to God and actually wept, before him that the, those have been the strongest and most you know impacting moments of my journey that moment when I came before him and I said this is how I'm feeling I'm feeling like you left me I'm feeling mm. like you don't like me I'm feeling yeah. like this and I'm feeling like you hurt me and he completely you know just undid me mm. you know I was just like oh my gosh I have no words but then I, I remember another particular moment when I was um, it was just before I got divorced and things weren't good in the house. I remember my ex-husband was completely being cruel to me. I mean, like I was going to college and he was working and he would not buy food for me. And I wasn't working at the time. I was working just a little bit. But I remember he would go shopping and he would buy for himself and he would divide the fridge and it would be my food. And, and my side of the fridge had nothing. Wow. Um, and he was just, you know, completely just, you know, disowning me in, in the same house. And... I was, um, he was out and I remember I was laying on the floor and I was just crying and crying. And I just say, God, I have nothing. I don't know what to do now. I don't know what you want me to do because I was battling in my head the whole divorce or fight for the marriage. And so I was in this position. I was like kind of warring with myself. And I remember just laying on the floor and I was just weeping and I was weeping. I was like, God, I don't know what you want from me. I have, I followed you. I've said yes to you. You know, I've, I've, I've tried to work in this marriage, you know, cause, cause what happened with my ex-husband is we broke up the first time and we got back together. 
Okay. And so we got back together for eight months. And it's in those eight months that things were unraveling like this and things were really bad. And, and I was like, well, I've, you know, I believe that we could get back together. And so I've, you know, I fought for this marriage. I thought things were going to work out. And then I was just like, God, I have nothing. I have no way of knowing what you want from me. And I remember I just literally felt God say rest. And I just rested. And I just laid there. I think I slept on the floor in my snot and my tears for like two hours. But I woke up feeling strong. I woke up feeling like he had just put his hands on me. And I just knew that everything was going to be okay. And so I think, yeah, I think sometimes we... um we underestimate how much our brokenness before God actually is our strength. And um, that's what he ever, that's, that's what he wants from us because we are his children. And yeah, we, we don't, he's, he's the strong one. We're the weak ones. And so when we come to him in our weakness and when we come to him broken, he's actually the one who can fix it. And so, you know, we do sometimes feel like we have to be these like, oh, I'm strong. Oh, I've got the power. God, you know, show me what you want me to do and I'll do it. God is like, no, just be weak before me. Just be, just be humble and just be, be broken. And not to say that, you know, we go out there broken, but it's in that place that he actually strengthens us for the journey and he gives us the grace. And yeah, that's very true. I feel like when you're in those moments, God does, does do something magnificent. Amazing. Yeah. And are you able to sum up for us kind of what's at the core of your beliefs? Okay, what's at the core of my belief? That's that's a pretty big question. It is. <laughs> what's at the core of my beliefs? Um, I don't know. I think um, I think the thing that I believe the most is that we are loved. I think that's at the core of my belief. Mm. I believe that we are all loved with such an amazing love that we will never be able to comprehend on this earth. And until we actually get to heaven, we'll finally realize how much we are loved. And it's funny because that's actually my name. So I really believe that we are loved. And I think that is my life message is that to tell the world that we are loved and that out of that love, we are compelled to do whatever it is we feel that we are called to do. It's out of that love that I actually come up, come here and, and have this conversation with you because I believe that as I speak this word, it's out of the love that it will touch me. People or people, would you know, would hear about this or it's out of love that you do what you do. So I think I really believe that we are loved at the core of who we are and that is our motivation. I also believe that forgiveness is the key to freedom. I believe that and I'm convinced of that because I know that um, the journey that I've come on and knowing the moment that I forgave people who have hurt me out, I've always felt like I can actually see. I've always felt like when I forgive someone, it's like this veil is lifted off of me. It's like I can actually see people for who they are. It's like I can actually see God's love for them. And so I, I, I believe truly that forgiveness is the key to remove any sort of things that can attach to us, that can bring us hurt, or that can actually turn our hearts away from God. And I also believe that we should um, have fun. Mm -hmm. I really believe that God is a fun God. I believe that he's always somewhere up there just laughing because sometimes we can do the most funniest things. I mean, just look (laughs) at some of the things that he created. I mean, you look at 
cockatoos and all the different colors on their feathers you think who would do that like why don't you stick to one color (laughs) (laughs) i mean i i truly believe that you know we're created to be fun and we're created to make each other laugh and we're created to to inhibit joy to be people who who just spread joy you know because this world is its own entity and um and we do have the antidote in in love forgiveness and joy yeah beautiful and so you've spoken a little bit already about some of the dreams you have in your heart with fashion and and with women coming out of trafficking and violence can you talk a little bit about what your hopes and dreams for the future are yeah um well, this is just a snippet and I'm just verbally processing as I'm talking to you. Um, but um, I really I really am passionate to see to see women who come out of uh, broken uh, backgrounds heal through creativity. I think we, we, we serve a creator God. God is a creator, first and foremost. He's creative. And I believe every single person on this earth has, has something creative inside of them. Things that sometimes we don't think are creative, I think are creative. And so I'm really passionate to see creativity and people discover creative um, passions through, uh, and, and get healing through that. So working with women who are coming out of sex trafficking or prostitution um, is something that uh, is very passionate to me. Not only is it passionate to me um, because of my past, but it's passionate to me because I see that it's getting more and more and more. Um, we're living in a world where, um, you know, we're in two polar opposites. We got one whole different um, arena of women who are feminists, who are, who are fighting for women's rights. But at the same time, I don't really see those women fighting for women who are broken. I just see them fighting for their own rights. But they're not actually saying, hey, I want to believe for these women's rights. And so I just want to be able to 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 to, to work with what w- women coming out of broken situations and being like, you know, you actually have um, a place where you can find healing uh, in creativity and, and in fashion or in designing jewelry or in painting, which is something that God did for me. I, I, I did I actually did visual arts at college and that was a three year healing journey for me. I, I, I believe God actually healed me through art. So so all those different uh, creative aspects and just working with women and just loving them and seeing them come out of a place of um, having a perception of the world that's dark and empty and cold to actually finding color and life. And not only that, but then empower those women to be able to use those gifts to actually make money for themselves so they don't have to feel like they have to go back into that place of, um, you know, um, working and uh, in prostitution or actually uh, taken back into a place of sexual slavery. So that's really my passion is to be able to see that take, you know, fly and see what happens. Sparrows and Wildflowers is brought to you by Victory One Media and hosted by Rachel Simpson with artwork by Nicola Gibb.